The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I hope you are doing well. If you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and grab them with me, and uh, would you find your place with me in Romans? We are going to finish Romans chapter 5 today, so Romans 5, and we get to look at another just absolutely foundational, fundamental doctrine and text this morning as we get to carry on in this incredible book. Um, last week, just to get us caught up, last week we looked at the, the, the doctrine, we talked about the idea of salvation. And if you remember, we talked about what is it? Um, how are we saved? We even, what are we saved from? When are we saved? If you remember that as we looked at that. And last week what we saw is that salvation is often so much more than we make it to be. We talked last week that salvation is past, present, and future. It's, it's we have been saved, we are being saved, and ultimately we will be saved forever through Jesus Christ. And if you remember, we, we asked the what question, well, what are we saved from? And, and as we looked at this, we remembered we are saved from sin, Sin, we are saved from the effect, the brokenness, the consequences of our sin. That's what salvation is. We are saved from sin. And before we move on, if you can, if you can remember what we looked at last week is this powerful thought that we have been saved from the penalty of sin, that we are being saved from the power of sin, and that we will ultimately be saved through Jesus Christ, from the very presence of sin. And that's salvation. We stand on this. We cling to this. And this week, we get to take this. Paul takes us one step deeper. And, uh, and thinking about sin and salvation as we, as we come to this text, I want to start us with an image. Um, now, you might have seen this before. You might have seen this image before. I, honestly, some of you might have used this image before. Um, in fact, this is one of the most common pictures when it comes to sharing the gospel. This is one of the most common ones. So, so often when we're sharing the gospel with someone and we're telling them about Jesus, whether we draw this on a napkin or whether it's printed or we have it on a track, whatever it is, this is one of the most common images used. So it starts with a person um, it starts with, with us, with humans over here. Then we have over on this side, we have God on this side. Or as some of the tracks say, it's, it represents heaven, the place where God is. Wh- whatever it is, we have, we have us over here as humans. We have, we have God over here. And then we have this problem, right? If you've seen this image used, we have this problem, this ravine, this, this gap here. And and. What is that? Well, this gap that we, we have here is, is sin. So, so as we, we take this in, this sin separates us from our God. So we have us over here. We have our God over here. 
We have sin here that is separating us from our God. So have you seen this? Have you used this? Some of you probably, probably have. But um, what I love is this can be kind of the starting place for us to share the gospel. Because what this does is it, is it we see in this the bad news. The, the, the bad news that we are separated from our God, and it sets the stage now, makes the way for the good news that Christ came and lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we deserve, that he rose, that he lives, and that he is alive and interceding on our behalf. And now as we trust in him for our salvation, now we have the cross that now bridges this great divide. So this is what you draw on the napkin. This is what's seen on, on the track. Because through his work, we now have this bridge that now uh, that's, that takes care of the great ravine, the great divide. And, and so, again, there's a good chance you probably use this. But what this does is it does at least two things really well. Uh, number one, it, it shows the problem the problem of sin, the ravine that separates us. And number two, it shows the solution in Christ, the cross. It does both of these things really well. So here from our text, what we're going to do, and the reason I start here, um, is I believe that we are going to build on this picture, and I'm going to try to stretch us a little bit. Um, my proposal today is this, that, that the way we draw this picture should change. It should change as we grow in our understanding of the gospel. The way we draw this should change. As we mature and as we, as we grow in Christ, the way we draw this picture should drastically change. So having said that, um, let's break up this text a little bit into parts. We're going to be looking at, um, we're going to be starting right in verse 12. So let's break this up into parts, and let's look at the first couple verses. So would you look at this with me? It says, therefore. Therefore. We'll stop there, because that's often the word we pull out. And remember the question that we always, the geeky question, what's the therefore, therefore? If you remember, the therefore here is drawing us back to last week, where Paul is talking about the extent of salvation that we have in Jesus. And he says, therefore. Because that is true, we go deeper. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, let's again, let's pause here. Who is this man? <laughs> Who's Paul talking about? Um, Paul's talking about Adam. Specifically, he's talking, if you, if you turned all the way to the beginning of your Bible, to Genesis 3, He's talking about Adam and Eve as they sinned. And, and scripture says through his, this sin, there was this foundational break that now sin came into the world. That sin now touched all of creation, which by the way, this is, this is why you and I right now look around at our world and we say something's not right. Things aren't the way they should be. This is why, because it, we see the brokenness. We see the pain. And, and Paul says that, that sin came into the world, and along with it, Paul says, death. Death comes through sin. 
So again, as we deal with death in our lives, as we deal with the death of those we love, as we deal with and experience death, even as we deal with our own mortality, this is a result of sin. That this death spread just as this sin spread. We'll come back to this. But let me read the end of verse 12 and then end of 13 and 14. So death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Whew, there's a lot there. A lot there. Um, this is actually a pretty tough scripture to unpack. We could spend a, lo- a lot of time here. Um, but what does it mean? I think this is a fundamental question that we see in this verse. What does it mean, as Paul says, all have sinned? He says, death spread to all men because all have sinned. What does that mean? There are three potential things that that means. Okay? Follow with me here. Number one, this could be referring to our individual choices to sin. All of the times that we choose to sin. This could be referring to the overwhelming fact that there is not one mother in this room and not one mother in all of human history outside of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who has ever been able to say, my child is perfect, sinless, in all of his or her ways. Little Johnny has never sinned. He's just a sinless saint. No, no mother has ever been able to say that. Why has no mother been able to say that? Because every single human has been born into sin and has sinned by choice. Every human born apart from Jesus Christ has sinned by choice. We Without exception, run to sin. We sin by our action. We sin by our inactions. We sin by our choices. So this verse, when it says all have sinned, could be referring to that. Option number one. Option number two, it could also be referring to our tendency to sin. What's been called our sin nature. And, and what this is, 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 is there's also just as there's never been a mother that says little Johnny is perfect in all his ways, there's also never been a mother who has had to teach their kids to be selfish. Not one mom has, has had to labor to teach their kids mine. They come pre-wired, comes pre-installed in the operating system. Why is that? Because we have this tendency toward sin. It's baked into the cake. So it could be a reference to the sins that we choose to do. It could be a reference to our sinful nature. Option number three, um, sinners by, by choice, sinners by nature. Option number three, sinners in Adam. Let me unpack this one a little bit. When Adam sinned, all humanity sinned in him. Uh, Adam being the head. When he sinned, we sinned. Uh, Paul uses, 
uses it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, and he says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. This terminology, this in Adam, this in Christ shows, it's really important, and it shows our position in Adam. I had a seminary professor who told me that, that he, he liked to think about it as we were all born with a negative in our bank account. It's like before you had a transaction, you were negative. <laughs> that was because you have been born into Adam. Thank you, Adam. Right? So, so what is this, pers- this verse saying here? Is Paul talking about the fact that we are all sinners by choice? Or is Paul talking about the fact that we're all sinners by nature? Or could it be that Paul's talking about that we're all sinners in Adam? Church, the the answer is yes. (laughs) Yes to all of these things. Yes. Let's go back to our picture here for a moment. If we were only sinners by choice, by the choices we make, sure there is a gap here. Sure, there is a gap, and and sure, the situation is dire. I don't want to downplay it. We do need some help getting over this gap, right? But you know what? I'm not as bad of a person as I could be. I'm not as bad of a person as I want to be. I'm not as bad as that guy over there. See, if we were only sinners by our choices, um, we may be tempted to think, that we could move the needle in the right direction through good choices. We might be tempted to think that. We, we, we might even pretend in some cases, for those Olympic jumpers in the room, that we could just hurdle this gap. I mean, it's not that big, right? I'm not that bad. Of course, you know, we can't be perfect. We, we all know that. Um, but if we were only sinners by our choices you know, would it all be that bad? Church, I want to I say this up front before we move on. If all you had to go on was that the fact that you're a sinner by choice, that would be enough to condemn you. I don't want to downplay that at all. If all you had was the fact that your choices to sin were all that you had, you would be, it would be enough to condemn you, and you know that. That's why we compare each other to each other, because it makes us feel a little bit better. But here's the reality, that's not all there is. That's not all there is. Going back to our drawing, if we were only sinners by choice, the gap might be like this, but, but you are, are sinners by your very nature. You're wired toward it. You're drawn to it. You have this natural pull toward what is evil. See, on its own, your sinful choices would condemn you, but now your sinful choices... It's not just that. Now you have this sinful nature in you, and because of that, all of a sudden, this gap gets a lot bigger. It gets, it gets a lot bigger. And all of a sudden, you look at this, and you think, that's not a small ravine anymore. That's not a small ravine. Um, but you know what? It's not just that. <laughs> it's not just that, because... You are also sinful, not just by your choices in your nature, you're sinful in Adam. You're, you're sinful in Adam, meaning you're born into it. You're born with the negative in your bank account into the brokenness of sin because you are in Adam. Again, let me say this. On its own, your sinful choices would condemn you. On its own, your sinful nature would condemn you. 
on its own, you being a sinner and Adam would condemn you. You got all three. You got all three. The reality is, is that your picture, this is no small ravine. This is no small gap. That right there, by the way, doesn't even do it justice. This is not a small gap. This is not something that you just need a little help with, that you need a little assistance with. This is not something that you, you, you just need a little bit of help, church. The more you understand the gospel, the more you understand scripture, I want you to hear me. The more that our perception of this gap will grow. And I use the word perception because it's important. That's exactly what it is. Because here, here's the truth. The gap actually isn't getting bigger. <laughs> the gap's already huge, astronomically huge. It's our perception of the gap that grows as we come to Scripture and as we see ourselves and as we mature in Christ. I'm convinced, church, that, that true maturity in Christ is, is, can be marked by the perception of this gap. I'm convinced of this. The more we mature in Christ, the more we understand this gap to be huge. And, and th that's why, church, the gospel is so amazing. It's not a little assist. It's, it's, it's this the gap, this ravine. The more we understand our sin, the more we're, under, we're able to understand the gospel. Let me say this in a different way. Small sin equals small gospel. Small sin is, is small gospel. When the bad news really isn't all that bad, the good news really isn't all that good. I want to say something before we go into to this text even more. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who struggle uh, to see sin like this, like what I've just talked about. And if we were to do a little experiment and we were to go out of here and um, you were to share the gospel with people in your community, I would imagine um, that as you share about sin, if people are even comfortable hearing about sin at all, uh, they might be fine talking about the sin of choices. Like they get that. Um, you're even going to find some who are kind of okay with talking about sinful nature because it's hard to refute the fact, right? But I have found that that third one, that sinners in Adam part, I have found that that's a different story because here's what I've heard. How dare you tell me that I am condemned because of the actions of another? How... <laughs> How dare you tell me that I'm condemned because of someone else's sin? How is that fair? What does Adam have to do with me? Um, by the way, church, this is where the rubber meets the road. And as Christians sharing the gospel, we can't negotiate with this one. This is, this is so important. Um, but I'll, I'll hear this so many times. How is that fair? And, and we, we need to see this. You can't, if you can't accept the fact that you are condemned by another sin or because of another sin, then ultimately you cannot also accept the fact that you are justified. 
by another's righteousness. The gospel is summed up in this. It's, it's summed up in this. If you can't get the fact that you are a sinner in Adam, then ultimately you're not going to be able to wrap your mind around the fact that you are righteous in Christ. Can't. This is that important. The gospel is built on this. The objection that I hear is, how is that fair? And, and we today, uh, we love the idea of fairness. We fight for it like it's liberty and freedom and justice, fairness. Um, but here's the problem. Let me just say this up front. And, and I say this all the time to my kids so much that they absolutely hate it. They hate it. They, this is like one of my catchphrases in our home. Life is not fair. I say it all the time. Life is not fair. Stop expecting it to be. I want to go a step further. The gospel is not fair. Praise God that the gospel is not fair. If you fought for fairness, you'd have hell. Praise God that the gospel is not fair. If it were about fairness, you would fall into that huge ravine. How is it fair that the sinless, perfect Savior died for sinners? How is that fair? How is it fair that a sinner could have life eternally and abundantly and walk in forgiveness? How is that fair? It is not it is, it is not. And you might say it's not fair that the sin of Adam is credited to you, but church, the, the, the gospel tells us that the righteousness of Christ is credited to you. The central theme of the gospel is grace and faith. It's not fairness. And it's in this that now Paul is gonna direct our focus to the distinction between the first Adam and second Adam between Adam and Christ. And so Paul goes on. Here's what I want to do. I want to read this section as a whole, then kind of slowly take it, take it in, okay? So, so let's, let's read this as a whole, starting in 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the the, have the grace of God and the, the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. See, here in this text, in Adam we receive wrath for our sin and death in Christ's grace. In Adam, judgment and condemnation. In Christ, we have justification. In Adam, we have death and we have sin. And in Christ, we have life, grace, and righteousness. We have this incredible and this beautiful contrast that is, that is given to us here in this text. And, and before we come back to this, I, I want to read this next verse because I, I, there's something here that we need to be cautious of. Um, this next verse, verse 18 in 19, Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. 
For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, um, the, the many will be made righteous. Now, these two verses are echoes of each other. They build on each other. Uh, verse 18, you have one trespass leads to condemnation, while one's righteousness leads to justification. Verse 19, one man's disobedience makes sinners. One man's obedience makes righteous people. That's easy enough to understand. It's a contrast, right, between Adam and Christ and Adam's trespass, Christ's righteousness. We see that. It's the central part of this text, the main idea that we see in this context. Um, But there's also a tricky part of this verse. And uh, although this is not church central to the message of what Paul is saying, it's not. Um, It is a verse that is often used to support a heresy. And so I think it warrants a pause button just a little bit to kind of look at this. So even though it's not the central point of the text, I want to address this quickly. Um, The tricky part comes in the adjectives. The adjectives, specifically in your English translation, the all and many. That's where the tricky part comes in. Um, And honestly, it's specifically verse 18. This this is a tricky one, uh, the sticky one. So This verse, verse 18, I'm just going to throw it all out there, has been used to support a heresy called universalism. And uh, let me, let's just take this on its own. Pretend like it was, it's acceptable for us to take one verse of scripture and ignore the rest of scripture. Let's pretend and just take verse 18. It says this, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Um. There you have it. There you have it. So uh, we, we all were sinners, but now through Christ, we all, all are, are saved. Now, before we shoot this apart, um, I want to be very clear here. Universalism is one of my favorite heresies. It's one of the heresies that I wish, I wish, I wish I could just preach. I wish that... It, that I could, I wish ultimately it were true and that I could stand up here and preach that, that it, listen, don't worry. Everyone goes to heaven. It's all good. Christ died and that means it's all good. I wish, I wish as your pastor that I could say that. Um, honestly, I guess I could. I just couldn't say it honestly uh, because here's the reality. The full weight of scripture, it, it, you can't hold this position. Scripture does not teach universalism. Scripture teaches that there is a hell and that real people go there. Scripture teaches that there is a limited amount of time that we have been given to make much of Christ, to proclaim Christ, and so that others will turn to Christ and trust him for their salvation. Scripture says this so abundantly. I even think of of, of Matthew, believe it's Matthew 7, he says, Jesus says, not all who call me Lord, Lord will enter. <laughs> That's just one of the many. Universalism falls apart against the full way. Even verse 17 kind of picks apart universalism. If you look, it says, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. It's not an all humanity thing, it's a those who receive thing. So here's the reality. Since then universalism cannot stand the full weight of Scripture. The question is, what do we do with this verse? We can't ignore it. What do we do with it? 
I want us to look at this again, and I want to just add a clarification word to the word all. All right? So if we look at this, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, all men in Adam, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men, that all men being all men in Christ. In other words, the first, just as the first and second man is different in, in verse 18, so is the all men. In verse 19, the same thing. For as by one man's obedience, the many, that's the multitude in Adam, were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many, that is the multitude in Christ, will be made righteous. So if you follow me, it's, it's a different Adam, different alls, different manys, not the same group. I, I want to share this quote with you because I think this, he says it way better than I ever could. This comes from Kenneth Boa. He says it like this. The whole issue of solidarity in these verses, not to mention the rest of the testimony of Scripture, such as John 3.16, is to make it clear that those in solidarity with Christ are a new race, a subset of the human race which is dead because of sin. Paul is not referring to the entire human race flip-flopping from death to life the day Christ was resurrected from the grave. He goes on to say this. He is talking about headship. The all of the first Adam is not the same as the all of the second Adam. The Adams are different, therefore the minis and the alls are different. It's really well said. It's really well said. He says this, that the main point of this, as we've talked about, is headship. It's headship. Our headship in Adam leading to death and our headship in Christ leading to life and to righteousness. That's the point of this text and that's the point of the gospel. Now, um, I want to bring this together. So we started with a picture. We started with this picture. And we have the person over there, we have God over here, we have the ravine here, and we have the cross that's bridging. Now, I started off by saying that the way we draw this picture should change as we grow in our understanding of the gospel. So I am convinced, church, that, that the, the more mature we are in Jesus, that our perception of this ravine just gets bigger and bigger. It's like we move that the ravine bigger and bigger. And again, I, I want to be clear, it's not that I'm saying that the gap, the ravine is actually getting bigger. <laughs> it's that we're seeing what is really there with greater clarity. And the truth is, is that there is no napkin, there is no track that has adequate space to really show how big this ravine is. There is no napkin that does it justice. There is no space. There is no TV that is big enough to show this gap in all of its accuracy. It's impossible. Actually, <laughs> I want to let Paul tell us why this is so important. And I want to finish the way Paul finishes here. He says, Now the law came to increase the trespass. Okay, church, take this next, this next in. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, great grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But where sin increased, but where the ravine increased, but where the gap increased, grace abounded all the more. Here's what this means. The larger the gap, the larger your understanding of the gospel. The larger the gap, the larger you understand the gospel to be. The, the more you understand and the more you see the ravine of your sin that separates you from God, the more you see that and understand that, the more you understand how extensive the grace of God is that covers the ravine. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, and we're left with a much larger cross, aren't we? The message of the gospel, I want to be clear, is, is not that the ravine is not that bad. The message of the gospel is not that you're not that bad. Don't worry about it. The message of the gospel is, is not that it's not as dire as you think. The message of the gospel is actually opposite. It's the ravine is bigger than you can possibly imagine. You are a sinner by your choice, by your nature, and you're a sinner in Adam. That ravine is massive, it is huge, and God's grace is still bigger. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. Your sin is great, God's grace is greater. That's the gospel. Uh, before we pray to, to respond and, and before we finish, I want to read the words of, of an old hymn. And I just want you to listen to this with me. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Let's pray together. Amen.